Hey, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Getting Over. And we start today's show on a somber tone, uh, announcing, unfortunately, that Howard Finkel, the legendary WWE announcer who was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2009, is dead at age 69. Um, For anyone who is a longtime fan of professional wrestling, really, even if you just started watching this century since 2000, you know who Howard Finkel is. He's the most legendary ring announcer in professional wrestling history and arguably one of the most, if not the most legendary ring announcers in combat sports history, uh, at least in the United States. He joined WWE, then WWWF under Vincent Kennedy McMahon Sr. in 1975. And he began ring announcing for the WWWF in 1977. He was actually WWE's Longest tenured employee, they date that back to 1980 when uh, Vince McMahon Jr. took the company over from his father and Fink, the Fink, I should say, has been with WWE ever since. Uh, For me, he was the voice of wrestling for my childhood. You know, certainly you had Vince on commentary and, you know, a range of people there with him. Um, There was Gorilla Monsoon occasionally that I I had heard and and certainly um, Jim Ross eventually took over the chair. Um, you had Randy Savage and Jesse Ventura, all those guys on commentary, but the constant, the voice that you always heard announcing the result of every match and his signature championship result and new World Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion, intercontinental champion. It was always Howard Finkel doing it. Uh, this is someone who came up with the name WrestleMania and appeared at every WrestleMania from its inception until 2016. He showed up at WrestleMania 9 wearing a toga, famously. Uh, He helped Mr. Perfect win the Intercontinental title at one point. He feuded with Harvey Wimpleman at WrestleMania 10, uh, which I remember, as you guys know, longtime listeners of the show, that's my favorite pay-per-view. It's at least the one that started me off in this wrestling journey. And then he beat Wimpleman in a tuxedo match on a Raw in 1995. They paid it back, you know, over a decade later, about a decade later, when he feuded with Lillian Garcia. And lost an evening gown tuxedo match. Um, the Fink, you know, he's made a couple of appearances in WWE over the last decade. But for me, the most memorable was when he came back to be the personal ring announcer of CM Punk in 2011. Uh, Punk was feuding with Alberto Del Rio. And certainly Del Rio had Ricardo Rodriguez in his corner. So Punk felt like he needed a ring announcer and called out the Fink. He came, announced Punk on the way to the ring. Punk won the title from Del Rio. And we got one more and new World Wrestling Federation champion, or I guess at the time, WWE heavyweight champion. So for me, as a wrestling fan, the Fink was a staple. Uh, He was just someone where when you heard his voice, you knew it was important. And even today, despite there being great ring announcers in the sport, everyone from, you know, Justin Roberts in AEW to, you know, uh, to Greg Hamilton in WWE and certainly Lillian Garcia for an extended period of time, they're all great. But the Fink was special. And, you know, Chris Vanini is joining me on today's show. Chris, uh, you know, I don't necessarily know. We haven't had a lot of banter here yet. You kind of have joined the show at a weird time. But, you know, I'm not sure how long you've been watching professional wrestling. But my guess is it's been for an extended period of time. And I'm sure the Fink means something special to you as well. Yeah, I got in in, I think, 1997 is when I first started watching. And right at the beginning of the Attitude Era. And and even for someone who came in that late and, and missed the the 70s especially the 80s 
Uh, every bit, almost every big moment of the Attitude Era was was punctuated by a call from Jim Ross and a call from Howard Finkel, and nobody could do the and knew better than him. Like just I asso- I associate that phrase with him. Of course, and I, I remember the first time I saw him, I couldn't believe that 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 deep baritone voice came out of someone who looked like that, and it blew my mind. And uh, you know, WCW had Michael Buffer. Uh, we, we've had others in other sports throughout the years, but to me, nobody, nobody came close at all to, to Howard Finkel and uh, just a, a, a terrible loss, but nothing but, but great memories. Well, that's the thing with the Fink. It's like other announcers have baritone to their voice, right? Like Buffer is a great example. He's, he's an incredible announcer and certainly Bruce Buffer is great too. And he has really enhanced the and new for a new generation. He uses that extremely well in UFC. Um, but the Fink had gravitas. Like he just, he had, he wore the tuxedo, you know, he wore the, the finely tailored suit and you, he was bald and, and you, you saw him with the microphone and you just said, this is a veteran. This is one of those old school ring announcer guys. And he's just going to do it the right way. You know what I mean? There's no flash to him. And even when they injected him into storylines and stuff, it was always so funny because he was that guy. He was, this proper dude who you would never expect to, you know, get uh, get involved in a hair versus hair match with X-Pac and Jeff Jarrett. Or, you know, I remember in I think it was 1999 uh, when Vince I don't remember the exact storyline, but Vince either got fired from WWE on screen or removed from leading the company. And the Fink went up to him as he was entering his limo and he was like fake crying is like Vince. For 24 years, you know, you've been the guy, you know, you've, you've, you know, you've, you've supported me and my family and so on and so forth. And Vince just, you know, Howard Finkel, get the hell out of here, you know, you know, and yells at him. Um, <laughs> but, but it was believable because it was the thing, because, you know, he was always this, you know, uh, adult in the room. He was uh, uh, someone, like I said, who had gravitas and professionalism. And there is no questioning. Um, you talk to any wrestler. And we've already seen it from Twitter reactions from Edge to Big E, Johnny Gargano. Every single person who is a wrestling fan, especially those who dreamed of being professional wrestlers, everyone has had in the in their head, just like when you're a kid and you're playing basketball on the court and you do the countdown in your head, three, two, one, you turn around, you make the shot. Every single person that has ever faked wrestling um, wrestling with a dummy in your room or trained or whatever. The dream is to be in the main event of WrestleMania and have Howard Finkel announce your championship victory. And before yep. we get and before we get into this episode of getting over, we're gonna hear a few of those. History made here in the Silverdome the winner of this contest.
ladies and gentlemen, per the request of the challenger, I would like to introduce CM Punk's personal ring announcer, <laughs> WWE Hall of Famer, Howard Finkel. Now you're talking about nostalgia. <laughs> Give it up for the feet, baby. Right, glad, he, glad he's been on the treadmill. Greatest, greatest announcer of all time right here. Couldn't wait to hear this man say my name when I first got here. Hall of Famer, that's right. Is he crying? <laughs> I think he is. I always say you definitely know you made it when Howard Finkel announces you, man. That, that, that was huge for me. We may never make the announcement. He'll let this go on all night. Oh, please. He's savoring the moment. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my Ladies and gentlemen. Oh, my God. Stop the pain. Introducing <laughs> the Challenger. Oh, my God. From Chicago, Illinois. Oh, God. Weighing 218 pounds, C.M. Punk! You gotta be kidding me. C.M. Punk! A great victory. It's WWE Champion! Wow. What a count. What a matchup. I mean, these two went with fist on fire, toe to toe, for about 30 minutes, and it was, it was totally off the hook. And new WWE Champion, C.M. Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data with another episode of the finest wrestling audio you have come to know and love. Today's show comes at a tough time. Uh, certainly, we mentioned earlier, Howard Finkel died Thursday at age 69, but it's also difficult um, for the wrestling industry and across the globe, and that's what we're going to be discussing here at the top of the show, as a number of WWE superstars were released and plenty of company staff were furloughed on Wednesday. Of course, we're also going to talk about what went down in the so-called Wednesday Night Wars as NXT and AEW put on a couple episodes that I have a feeling may divide Chris and I a little bit on today's show. And as I alluded to last week, before we get out of here, if I can remember to do it with everything that's going on right now, I'm going to spend a couple minutes at the end of the show talking about the fourth major professional sport in the United States of America, MTV's The Challenge. Uh, before we get to that, a reminder to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You know, we tweet about wrestling beyond just announcing each episode. So there's always some news, analysis, thoughts, opinions, retweets of myself and Chris and, and Jack and everyone else that's on the show, all on that account. And please, if you are not already, subscribe to Getting Over wherever you listen to podcasts and head on over to Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use. Drop us a five-star rating and review. I only push you guys to do it so often because it is very important for the long-term success of this show. Okay, on to this episode. As you heard earlier, Chris is back pulling double duty this week. Don't forget to follow him on Twitter at Chris Vanini, V-A-N-N-I-N-I. -N -N -I. And Chris, you know, 
Um, as I mentioned earlier, I kind of just injected you into this show last month. And with so much going on, we've not really had time for, I guess, what they call in the industry banter, you know, at the top of the show. Um, and a lot's going on right now. So how are you holding up? Um, what's going on in your life? And are you seeing professional wrestling kind of like I do right now, which is just a little bit of an escape from the day-to-day grind of not just work, but um, serious shit that's going on in the world right now? Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, the only thing I have that's a distraction from what's going on uh, is my job covering college football, and I'm thankful to still have a job considering the number of people in my industry have been laid off or furloughed and everything going on. I'm uh, very grateful for that. Uh, but the and on TV, it comes to basically, I guess, uh, The Bachelor, which is back, and uh, pro wrestling. And even when I watch pro wrestling, there are times when you still yeah. feel conflicted about watching it because you want people to stay away from each other right now. And seeing people grapple and get together uh there are moments where you suspend that disbelief and you're fully sucked in and and uh, and you do appreciate that but it's it's a weird time for everything i understand why wwe wants to keep going um but as we talked about earlier this week there are problems with that as well and that is further illustrated by what happened uh later this week yeah i mean certainly in doing shows talking about professional wrestling there's the cognitive dissonance between not liking that they're doing it, but still talking about it and getting excited about it because good things and exciting and entertaining things are happening on the air, right? So, you know, I don't want to do every single episode of the show where we have to give a disclaimer saying, you know, we don't we don't agree with them fighting right now or wrestling right now, but we're still going to talk about it. I think you guys just need to understand as listeners that if it was up to me, I would not be holding wrestling events. If I was Vince McMahon, I would not be holding events right now. Um or if I did, I would do one taping and do five shows at once, you know, and spread it out or whatever the case. If, if I was AEW, I would not be announcing the Double or Nothing pay-per-view for like five weeks from now in mid-May as it's going to happen and be on pay-per-view and charge people money for it and have it be live. I mean, there's a lot of really questionable stuff happening right now. And we're trying to look past that and actually talk about the news of what's happening. Um, but, I mean, you're – also more about wrestling and sports, as am I. I have a dog. You have a lot of dogs that go through your house. Are you currently in the midst of fostering right now? Is there a litter? Like, what's going on with the dog situation? We we currently have seven dogs and a cat in the house. Wow. And the wow. reason is, so my wife, uh, after we graduated college in 2011, she went to work in animal shelters Okay. And, uh, mostly the marketing side. So we would have a lot of fosters come in and out. I think we've had over the years now, almost a decade now, we've had more than 300 animals come in, whether that's a kitten, whether that's one time we had a little pig. A lot of stuff comes in. <laughs> a lot of stuff. Love the pig, by the way. Not Alexa Bliss sized pig. Yeah. Her pig Larry Steve. Pig. Not Larry it, Steve. Yeah. It was going to get that big. We didn't have it that long. We couldn't have that big of a pig around. Uh, but when he was when when she was small, she was cool. So we've had dogs come in and out that way my wife also uh does some uh does some uh breeding we 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 work with icelandic sheepdogs and north boat spets which are some nordic breeds that we uh when when we, we i live in texas now but we used to live in michigan and there's a lot more up there and so she's involved in that community so right now we have seven dogs and a cat they're not all ours 
Some of them are, are friends or something like that, but uh, it's a lot. But I work out of home, so I can deal with it every day. She is now a dog trainer. Okay. Uh, so she takes she, she takes uh, a few of them to work every day. Not now, actually, because the work is shut down. Sure. Sure. But uh, she takes them to work. They're all very well behaved. She's very good at what she does. So when you say seven dogs, it's a lot. And when I when I talk to golf football coaches, that's one thing they remember about me. Oh, I'm the guy with 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 all the dogs. There but uh, it's 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 good. It's good. Well, no, I, I mean, I appreciate it. First of all, obviously, I love dogs and I have one of my own. And he was sick this week with everything else that's going on. Um, so I had to like put a mask on and go to the vet and they were only letting one person in at a time. And I had to go on a Sunday. So it was the, you know, hospital. Um, and he, he's fine now, you know, actually today is the first day he's totally back to normal, but like I was cooking like I've already been cooking every meal for myself. So it's three meals a day for 30 days. It's 90 meals I've made for myself. Now this guy needs chicken and rice and certain, you know, probiotics. And like, I was just exhausted this week. So it sucks that like the wrestling shows that were want that are supposed to be the escape are coming with so much despair and so much bad news. And it's a sad time, really. And that's kind of we're going to go from awesome, you know, talking about dogs and being really excited about that and loving that to kind of the bad news of the day. And it's the main event and it's WWE releasing uh, 23 on air personalities as of this podcast. And I know. Some of you wanted an instant analysis yesterday, but at any time I would have started doing it, there would have been additional people released. So it just didn't really make much sense. And that turned out to be the right decision. And honestly, by the time the show gets published, there may be other names that get released and it's difficult. Um, as I said, it's a sad time. A lot of people in WWE lost their jobs on Wednesday. And we cannot talk about that on this show, or I won't let us at least without providing some perspective and factual accuracy, because you have seen a lot of people complaining and yelling and screaming on Twitter or on Reddit, if you go to Squared Circle or wherever you, whatever your wrestling community is, you're seeing a lot of people angry about this, especially angry, more so than they otherwise would be, I guess. And you're seeing a lot of numbers thrown around. And those are some of the things I wanna clarify and I want to give facts and perspective because I feel like a lot of people are getting really emotional here. So I'll start off with this and I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant, kind of like I did um, on Tuesday's show, but I will like, I will get Chris in, I promise you. Um, but we're in the midst, folks, of a global pandemic right now with a shutdown of major businesses, big and small across the country. More than 22 million people have filed for unemployment in the United States 5 million of them this week. Disney just furloughed 43,000 union workers. Macy's and JCPenney combined to furlough 200,000 workers. ESPN just basically peer pressured its on-air talent to take 15% pay cuts across the board. People are losing money and they're losing jobs. So you heard those numbers I just told you. 43,000 from Disney, 22 million people Filed for unemployment, 5 million this past week. WWE released 23 on-air talents. No one wants WWE to release anyone for financial reasons. But they released 23 people. And that's certainly not counting the writers and producers that were furloughed and um, other staff that were fired. We don't know the totality of the releases. And we don't know everything that they did. But I do want us to put the numbers 
in perspective of what is going on nationwide. And before we get into the releases themselves and the wrestling aspect, which we're going to talk about everyone who was released, uh, what we think about their future, their time in WWE, where we see them going from here. We're going to get to all of that. But before we get to that, I want to correct a lot of incorrect reporting on WWE financials because personally, I run a business. I own a website called OnlyGators.com. Uh, it covers the Florida Gators. I've run it since 2009. So I deal with balance sheets and financials. I'm not a corporation by any means, um, but I've worked in plenty of corporations and I'm in the stock market and I know kind of how some of these things work. And I feel like when people just throw numbers out there, they're not really explaining what they mean. So Dave Meltzer reported, and people got really angry when he reported it, that WWE has $500 million in cash reserves on hand. It does not. What WWE has is $500 million combined in cash and debt capacity. And what debt capacity means is it's basically the assessment of a company's ability to borrow against itself. So what WWE does really have is $90 million in liquidity. It's still a huge number. I mean, we're talking about a publicly traded corporation, but the company is losing millions of dollars in expected earnings in ticket sales, not just from not having Raws and Smackdowns and pay-per-views, but their entire house show schedule has been canceled. And when it does restart again, and when and we don't know when that's going to be, and WWE is able to do shows with fans, they're not going to go full bore. They're going to do Raw and Smackdown, and that's probably it. And maybe they even do them in the same city. Or maybe they even only do one show and tape both. We don't know what's going to happen. But WWE is a publicly traded company. They can't do nothing. They're losing money month over month by not running live shows. And they have to worry about not only their own employees, but their investors. They need them to keep faith in WWE as a business. Corporations need to not only show profit, but continued year over year growth. And WWE has a responsibility to its investors, like it or not. Now, are they going to show continued growth this year over last year? Yeah, because of the new TV contracts. But it's going to be far less than it was supposed to be because they're going to lose an absolute ton of live event revenue. Now, if you hate corporate corporate culture and you think it's evil and that companies put profit over people, well, number one, no shit. And number two, I totally get that. A lot of corporations, most corporations, and a lot of people that run them, they kind of are evil, yes. But if you're calling WWE specifically evil for firing a couple dozen people, you have to understand they are not unique at all in this regard right now. Chris mentioned he works for uh, The Athletic, really good company. I, I don't know how large they are these days, but they've, they've hired a ton of people and done a great job in, in hiring a lot of good journalists over the past few years. I work for CBS, which is part of Viacom, a major company. And Chris and I, we haven't spoken about it, but Chris, I'm going to make an assumption that we're both somewhat concerned about our jobs, right? Absolutely. I mean, that one thing I'll say about that is that I know there's a lot of negativity over the idea that sports may not come back, but I promise you that few people want sports to come back more than people in sports media whose jobs depend on it happening. And few people want the, these wrestlers and writers and producers employed again more than WWE. If you Whether you believe WWE hoarded talent or they didn't, I think it's a little exaggerated to say they hoarded talent, but they did it because they want those people in their company. They want to be the ones paying them. They don't want them anywhere else. So WWE getting rid of these people, it's not just that they're expendable to them. 
and that they were oversaturated with talent. You can say that they are. I'm not going to argue if you believe that. But they wanted to retain them. But they are financially or they feel like they're financially unable to. That doesn't mean that they couldn't have kept all these people um, and kept paying them and not made a profit this year. But the profit would have been a lot lower than not just that they promised, but then that they need to show in order for their stock not to absolutely tank, which would hurt the company long term. So again, if you're calling WWE particularly evil in this regard, it's kind of wrong. They're not unique in this situation. And that doesn't make what WWE did right or good. I hate it. I wish America was a capitalist country with a collectivist culture like Japan is. But that's not what America is. And it's unfortunate. And it sucks. And I'm super sad about it. I'm sad for everyone who lost their jobs. Wednesday was incredibly depressing. But it's also the reality, as I mentioned earlier with the numbers, of what's going on in the world right now. The cash on hand and revenue are not the only things being misreported. People are not putting the cuts that WWE made into any type of context either. So WWE did not make these cuts just to save $4 million. You'll see a lot of tweets and fans saying, well, why didn't WWE just not pay Goldberg for Saudi Arabia? Or why didn't they just not pay Rob Gronkowski? Well, Gronk, maybe you could say that, but they were clearly already in an agreement with him. But Goldberg, that thing happened months ago. You can't blame a company for spending money in the past when they didn't know they had to prepare for a global pandemic. And number two, this is the key point, WWE is not saving $4 million by doing everything that they've done. They're saving $4 million per month, which is $48 million over the course of the year. And again, considering their liquidity is $90 million, that's more than half. So WWE, as I mentioned, they did not only just cut wrestlers. They stopped mid-construction on a new corporate office. They ended third-party contracts, and they are cutting or slashing some of the salaries of executives as well. So the decisions that WWE made on Wednesday or last week or you know whenever they made the decisions, but they announced them Wednesday, they weren't just making them for April 2020. They were possibly making them, probably making them for the rest of 2020, maybe even into 2021. As a major corporation, WWE doesn't have to just think about the present. They have to think about the future as well. What if they can't hold any events with fans until 2021? The Los Angeles mayor came out and said there's going to be no events with fans in attendance until mid-2021. WrestleMania is set for Los Angeles in March 2021. That's three months before the middle of the year. So when you look at these releases, it sucks so much. I don't want anyone losing their job. I don't want anyone to be unsure about their salary or or money coming into their household. I, I'm assuming most of them are going to get paid through 90 days, but after that, they're not, or they're going to get their guarantees, but nothing else. I don't know exactly what the financials are going to be, but the point is, I don't know, and neither does anyone else. So I feel horrible about this for everyone, but to just look at it as WWE and Vince McMahon are evil and they fire all these people in the midst of the pandemic, they did do that. There's no denying it, but you have to realize it's kind of a small group of people compared to what some major companies have had to do and what's going on in the United States and around the world. Again, 22 million people have filed for unemployment since the pandemic started, 5 million last week. Yeah, I think you laid it all out there pretty well. I mentioned my wife. She's not working right now because of 
or not having classes because nobody's uh, gathering. Um, I'm concerned about losing my job at some point. We all are. Yeah. Um, it, it's just the, the sad reality of, of where it is. I think you did a good job laying out where exactly WWE stands. I know, especially on Twitter, everybody wants to jump on certain things. And yeah, I mean, I don't have a ton to add other than I think you laid it all out. Uh, no, no. It, it, it's been, it's a sad, it's a sad, it's a very, very sad time for pro wrestling. And it's, especially depending on what happens the rest of this week by the time this comes out, but it, it's akin to when WCW closed. And not only are these people out of work, but they have nowhere to go now because right. there's not wrestling happening. So that it makes it even worse. Uh, and it's, 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 it's a tough situation in, in you understand why WWE did it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, not that this makes it any better. It does not. But as independent contractors, they do have the ability to uh, file for certain claims and get some money into the house. But most of these people were pretty well paid is the is the assumption. And I don't know their individual finances here, but hope, hopefully I really do hope that everyone or most people are OK. Um, and certainly, you know, this isn't this doesn't make it any better what I'm about to say. But the hope is once all this is over. That WWE is going to want some of these people back. Now, not maybe any of them or all of them, but some people. WWE is going to have to have to hire more wrestlers when they start doing house shows again. They're going to need to hire referees and producers and, and writers, whoever they have furloughed. They're going to have to bring people back to train in the performance center. So things are going to start up again. But, I mean, I have a really good friend who has a small business. It's his full-time job. He lost his business already. It, it, it closed for a week, and he couldn't sustain. He was doing well. He was bringing home a salary every year, a pretty significant salary, but he had to close his complete business because he can't go and do any of the work he was doing. I have another friend who straight up lost her job and I'm helping her out you know, with what I can help her out with, but it's really bad and it's affecting everyone. I think with WWE, because these are performers that we see all the time on television, even though some of them aren't on TV a lot. Um, they're people we know, we, we hear them do interviews. We follow them on Twitter. They're celebrities. And I think because of that, it hits home more to people who maybe haven't seen anyone lose their jobs or, or, or aren't facing this situation themselves. And I think that's why it's so difficult for people to understand. But when you combine that with misinformation and wrong numbers that are being reported, I mean, look, WWE does not deserve our pity. Okay. We've criticized them. I've criticized them for the last couple of years for doing the Saudi Arabia deal and some of the decisions they've made and certainly their on-screen product and and quote-unquote hoarding talent, which I, again, don't totally agree with, but certainly to some small degree they do. Um, so this is not a pity party for WWE by any means. Uh, again, if you don't like the way corporations act, um, then yeah, WWE is a corporation. They're, they suck. You know, it, it's true. All this is true. But you should at least understand the context and the perspective of what is happening here and just not join the mob of WWE's evil. They're the only ones that fired people. It's just not accurate. OK, but we are going to get into the people that are no longer with WWE. And I'm going to try to go down this list and we'll talk about ones we want to talk about and kind of gloss over the ones we don't. Um, the first one, the biggest name by far is Kurt Angle, who retired in ring, obviously, um, previously. And hasn't really been on TV um, because of that. So they fired him or they released him. I don't really know what they released him from doing. Maybe it was a Legends contract, but Kurt Angle is no longer on our screen. I think my disappointment with Kurt was really his career really should have ended 
with a better match and a better storyline than Baron Corbin. And I have no doubt that he'll be back in WWE on a Legends deal or something else soon, Chris. But I think it would have been nice to it would have been easier to maybe digest Kurt not being there or not getting paid anymore if things had gone out on a better note. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to admit I did not know he was still with the company. Obviously, he's not on screen and I don't read a ton of the dirt sheets to figure out who's an agent and who's not and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it sucks. You know, a couple weeks ago at the Athletic Week, they had everybody kind of write a post about your favorite player growing up and, you know, Derek Jeter, stuff like that. Everybody picked some famous players. I picked Kurt Angle. You know, I, I before I really got into, I guess, real sports, I watched WWF and Kurt Angle's debut in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, that run was uh, incredible. And, you know, my my uh, my parents would let me watch the Attitude Era, which is, I guess, questionable looking back. But they they wouldn't take us to shows at the time. So in late 2001, after Kurt Angle won the belt over Austin at Unforgiven, I think it was right after 9-11, he had a book signing uh, at the local Kmart for his book that had come out at the time. And so I went to that and uh, uh, talked with Curdy at the belt. I held the the belt and it felt so heavy for an 11-year-old kid to do. I got a picture (laughs) with him. I included that that in the story and uh, just a really fun experience. And uh, I, I think he's still one of the most underrated, probably arguably the most talented wrestler of all time. I uh, would have loved to see his career go out on a better note. I was I, I was at WrestleMania 34, my first WrestleMania, and got to you know participate in the You Suck chance when when Kurt was in that match. So that was a, a childhood dream come true. So uh, uh, sucks to see him go. Admittedly, I didn't know he was still with the company, but uh, one of one of many, obviously, that are uh, let go here. Yeah, I do think he was doing some work as an agent backstage. I don't know if it was consistent or I'm not sure what happened, but I do know he was doing something like that. So. He certainly was still there. Uh, but the, the thing with Kurt, this return, while it was good, don't get me wrong, I liked him actually as GM and I thought he did some good work. Everything they tried to do with him, unfortunately, just didn't work out. They, the Jason Jordan storyline, Jason Jordan gets hurt. Yeah, we're never, gonna get, we're never gonna get resolution to Jason well, Jordan's son, Kurt Angle, for a litany of reasons. And like, had they just done that with Gable instead of Jordan, which kind of made even more sense, who knows what, what Chad Gable would be like right now. I was very happy, by the way, to see Chad Gable not be on that list. He is way too valuable and way too good uh, for them not to actually make it work with him. So I do hope something's coming from that. Well, here, um, let me say something about this. Yeah. Almost all of these people who are released today, from what I've gathered, they're either not at, they're either not on TV or they are on Raw. Um, do we expect stuff to come down after SmackDown, possibly? It's possible. Um, you know, I the expectation was that we'd get a lot of notice about NXT after NXT, but here we are midday Thursday already, and we haven't. And certainly there were some people from NXT on that list. But I think the reason why these are raw in particular um, is because the raw roster, when you looked at it, apples to apples to SmackDown, it was larger because it was a three-hour show. So I think there was more fat to cut on raw. But also a lot of the people on this list, I think, just happened to be on raw. So like we'll get to them in a moment, but like Mike and Maria Kanellis. It's like, yeah, they were on Raw, but they haven't been on TV in how long? You know what I mean? Um, So I I don't necessarily think that this was Raw exclusive. I mean, we'll we'll move on to Leo Rush, who's an NXT talent. He's not even on Raw. So he got cut. Um, And Leo Rush, I think, is the number one person on this entire list who AEW should have already called and tried to sign. He is... 
unique. He is extremely talented and athletic. Um, certainly his first run in WWE was there were apparently major attitude issues and backstage problems. And you kind of even saw it on TV that it was a cockiness that I know it was a character, obviously, but that it just seemed like people didn't really want to work with him. But when he took that time off and he returned and he won the Cruiserweight Championship, to me, both on screen and off screen from Twitter and the way he spoke, it looked like he had totally turned a corner, that he had matured, become more of a family man, and that he was really serious about his career. He had the the championship. He was doing really good stuff. They took the title off him to put it on Devlin. I'm not totally sure why they did that. Um, but nevertheless, Leo Rush, I thought, had a long, successful career ahead of him in WWE. And that is one of the bigger surprises on this entire list for me. Yeah, if you look at this, I think he was one of two people, if you look at the upside, uh, who I long term, I think, have the most potential here. We'll get to the other one in a second. But Leo Rush was definitely one of them. And he did a great job in the ring. I really liked him as uh, as Bobby Lashley's manager. It was a good little bit they had going for a bit. Um, uh, yeah, I, hopefully, especially a young guy like that, um, who's who's been through a lot in his life, uh, can, uh, whether it's AEW or whatever, Find something pretty soon. Yeah, for, for me, like I said, he's the most no-brainer for AEW. No, not even a question about it. Number two on that list for me is Rusev, who yes, that, that's was, the other one I was gonna say. was let go. And yeah, and he's really the biggest actual in-ring, constantly performing name that was uh released here. And I found two things interesting. One that Rusev was released and not Lana. When Lana just re-signed a deal and Rusev was a, his contract, I believe, was about to expire or coming close to it. Now, I know Lana's in the storyline with Lashley. Maybe they're going to play that out and then get rid of her. But I don't know why you'd keep Lana employed if Rusev's not going to be there, number one. And I'm not trying to get have anyone lose their job, so please don't come at me saying that. I'm just talking from a storyline standpoint from what makes sense corporately. Um, but so Rusev's gone, and Rusev is, to me – and this is not a unique opinion, but he is a perfect fit for New Japan. Uh, I don't, Chris, I don't know. How, we haven't really discussed it. I don't know how familiar you are with that product and, and wrestling in New Japan. But he is someone who could immediately be in the heavyweight championship picture over at New Japan day one. And if not that, definitely the U.S. title picture where he could feud with Moxley uh, or he could just be used as a major draw over there. He is extremely talented. He is an incredible character. WWE has repeatedly failed Rusev. There are very few people on this list. In fact, there's really only two, and we'll get to the other one momentarily, but there's really only two people on this entire list that WWE booking somehow could not figure out how to utilize. Rusev was insanely over with Rusev Day. They just decided to end that. That was over. Rusev, in this storyline with Lana and Bobby Lashley, whether you like the storyline or not, Rusev got insanely over again. Those last couple segments, the crowd was crazy for Rusev. They had Lashley win the key match. Rusev never came back. And again, they ruined a really hot Rusev. So I don't know what it is about him and what it is about WWE. I could see the personalities of Vince and Rusev rubbing each other the wrong way potentially. But that is a major miss for WWE. And the fact that they let him go must have meant, in my opinion, that they felt they would not be able to re-sign him. Yeah, I know there. I, like I said, I don't read the dirt sheets, but I saw stuff on Twitter that people were saying that there were rumors that he had wanted out anyway. Um, so if, if if that's the case, that that's the case. But you, you're right, man. This guy got 
everything over. Everything he did. I mentioned I was at WrestleMania 34 in New Orleans. Rusev Day shirts, by far the most popular thing yeah. going up and down Bourbon Street. That, that dude got everything over. Even the Summer Ray, Dolph Ziggler stuff. Take the fish. He throws the yep. catfish deal. This dude was funny. This dude could be intimidating. He can do everything. To me, he, he's to me he's a five star talent. Even English is not his first language. It's not a problem. This guy, this guy knows everything to do about pro wrestling. He he's looks legitimate. I, I think he's got everything he can do. I, I I don't follow New Japan, but I'm familiar with it. I went to the G1 Climax here in Dallas. Uh, I, I can absolutely see what you're saying, that he'd be a fit there. And one other thing about Rusev, like two weeks ago, he tweeted that he was going to pledge $20,000 to WWE staff who were at home not getting paid because of what was going on. And I don't know the guy personally, but I thought that was an incredible gesture. Uh, and and um, uh, again, whatever happens next with him, really hope something works out. Uh, if this is what he wanted, I hope you know it works out moving forward because he, he this guy can do everything. I, Absolutely everything. I agree. I mean, by all accounts, he's a good guy. Certainly, he seems to have a great personality. I did think that the the Lana Lashley Rusev love triangle it did get you know mixed up significantly by adding Liv Morgan, and I didn't even understand. I still don't really understand why they did that. I, they were trying to do some type of lesbian angle, I guess, with Lana or by by curious thing. I don't even know. But Rusev was finally displaying his personality. If you remember, there was a segment where like he was walking into the arena and got stopped by security. And he's like, come on, guys, like, what, what is this all about? And then got physical about it. So Rusev, I thought in his last few storylines or his last storyline with WWE was actually becoming the best version of, of Rusev. He was a face. He was someone that people could relate to. Um, he was funny. He made good things happen, and he was fit as hell. I mean, this is a guy when he debuted. Look, Rusev in every incarnation that I've ever seen him is in far better shape than I. But at the beginning, he was maybe had a little extra on him, but he got fit and thin and trim. He shaved and and he looked he looked like handsome Rusev. You know, that's that that that's what they called him. Um, so again, good guy Rusev, handsome Rusev. This guy again. When NJPW starts up, I wouldn't even think twice if I was them. And certainly AEW should go right after Rusev. And one thing we're going to talk about, I'm going to pause real quick as we go through this list. He, you know, he's, a, he's a main, he's a main eventer. He's a guy you can put at the, at the top of your card in a main event in a, in a, in a championship feud. Yes. Anywhere. He could main event any promotion in the, in the world right now. Truly could main event. You're right. Um, before we go on. So, you know, AEW has said, and they do factor into this because there's a lot of talent available and, and we're going to be talking about where we think they're going. Obviously, I already told you, I think Rusev and Leo Rush should go there. Um, but there's two things. One, AEW is not going to take every talent on this list that got released, number one. But number two, it is interesting when you look at the wrestlers that WWE has released or whose contracts have expired and you look at who has AEW taken and who have they not, the truth is they've taken... Almost everybody. The only people that AEW has not taken were the Ascension, which, okay, obviously they weren't going to take the Ascension, and TJP, who I believe went to Impact and was a good fit there, and that and that's fine. And they didn't really need TJP. They have plenty of other dudes who looked, act, and talk like TJP. So everyone else though has immediately got snatched up. Brody Lee, Matt Hardy, certainly Chris Jericho wasn't really on a full time contract, but. 
But Chris Jericho, John Moxley, that was, of course, a no-brainer. So AEW has been the land for ex-WWE superstars. And I do think, um, especially when AEW, you know, when when they're allowed to do shows again and, and they have more money coming into the company, I do think a good number of these people are going to get picked up. But I do think anyone also that is saying, well, AEW is just going to hire all these people. No, they're probably not. And I do think that's where we go to next, where I talk about EC3, who, if you want to talk about being misused by WWE, this was the other one on the back of Rusev. Um, The fact that this guy, for some reason, couldn't get cheered in an obvious, embarrassing squash match against Dean Ambrose, where Vince threw him out to do that, and therefore was deemed to be worthless, um, it's shocking. Now, of course, that's according to reports and... I don't necessarily know anything specifically to back that up. But the fact that EC3, with his look, with his ability on the mic, and his in-ring ability, he's pretty decent, couldn't get on TV in something meaningful was an absolute joke. Now, when they did the brand split and he stayed on Raw and Paul Heyman took over, I already saw what Heyman was doing with Andrade and even like Eric Rowan getting him TV time and figuring out things for Aleister Black to do. And I was really excited that EC3 would get an opportunity to be something under Paul Heyman. The problem is apparently late in 2019, he had numerous concussions and is was and maybe still is not cleared for action and has been off TV ever since. So we don't actually know if things would have eventually worked out with Paul Heyman. But I, what I can tell you for sure, EC3 obviously is a former Impact World Champion, Again, I said he has the look, the mic ability, the talent, and the charisma. He is someone who, as a free agent, assuming he's healthy, he could go immediately back to impact and be one of their top-tier stars. Or again, and I'm not going to say this for everyone, I promise, EC3 would be a great fit in AEW as a singles performer, especially now that they have a mid-card title. So I, I can't speak to, obviously we can't speak to his physical health that aside, so Rusev's a guy who can do anything. EC3 is a guy who I think has a particular set of skills, I guess, is no better way to put it. And number one atop those skills is talk. And they didn't have him talk. I don't know even know why you have EC3 if you're not going to take advantage of the things that he can actually do. I mean, literally, he was up there not talking. And and we can talk about whether or not he was a fit, whether or not he's a good wrestler, whatever. We didn't even get to we didn't even get to see his, his best opportunity get him to let him put himself out there. We saw it a little bit in NXT, and I know it's a different crowd, but he was over in NXT. He got the crowd going uh, against him and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, oh, he was he was awesome in NXT. Yeah. yeah so so you know, but, I watched. Oh, it's crazy. But it's crazy about that. Real quick, and I'll let you continue. Yeah. He's also one of those guys who was good in NXT, but you thought would be great on the main roster. Yeah, he's got the but build. He, he's got the build. He can talk. He figured out exactly what Vince wants, and uh, they just didn't want him to talk at all. And it, it, say, say he was not cleared. I mean, you could. we talked about managers earlier this week. He'd be a great person as a hype man next to somebody. Duke can talk, Duke can talk his head off and, and put himself over, put other people over. Uh, has plenty of skills, so we'll see where that goes. The other thing about AEW, and we don't really know this, though, I mentioned it earlier about guys not having a place to go right now. I mean, I can't imagine AEW is 
actively looking to hire a ton of people considering the current financial yeah. situation with everybody. So I'd love for a lot of these people to go to AEW, but one, they already have a pretty bloated roster for they a, do. a company that has essentially three hours of TV a week. Uh, and, and then you throw in the economic situation. I don't know if, if, if they're going to be looking at anybody, I know, I know Cope will talk about Zack Ryder and Cody shouted him out, but uh, I'd love for EC3 to end up in AEW as well, but I'd love for a lot of people to, and I don't think, I don't know if it's realistic. Yeah, I mean, EC3 may well be an impact hire, and he may not go to AEW. Ring of Honor could bring him in, or he could do something completely different. Um, or honestly, I wouldn't be surprised, and this does go for people on this list, if they're not hired anywhere full time, by the time things kind of turn back around, it's it's very possible that WWE can bring some or a good amount of these people back. We just don't know. So, you know, it's kind of difficult to say. Uh, but EC3, like like we both said, uber talented and it's it just completely misused by the main roster and you're right like it's not even misused it's just not, not used. used yeah <laughs> well not seen as useful yeah that, that's the problem not seeing that you can use this guy is a joke even like the bobby you talked about him being a manager this bobby lashley lana thing if it had ended and you know obviously maybe plans changed or whatever and you saw ec3 back there be like bobby you're a star athlete no one knows you better than the top 1%. Boom, he's a manager. I mean, this guy... And they they feuded in Impact and had a good feud together. Championship Yeah, and then they they could feud when they break up. Like, it's, you know, it's it's very clear and easy. We can book the damn territory all day, but it's just crazy that someone like EC3 never got that chance. Now... Actually, touching on EC3, to take it in, I don't know who you're going with next, but Drake Maverick... No, let's go, yeah. Rockstar Spud, I think you gotta you gotta pair him with, with EC3 when we talk about this. And he he was used, and I think he was used pretty well, but that EC3 Rockstar Spud friendship and then feud and impact was tremendous. That 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 episode where EC3 shaved Rockstar Spud's head in England, one of the most heelish things I've seen in the last five years or however long ago it was. Uh, I, I would have I just dreamed of seeing those two paired on the WWE stage. And again, uh, not didn't happen, and it was a real shame. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, I was never an Impact viewer, so I certainly only knew about them from there after they got hired, and then I went back and looked. Um, but no, we can go to him next, and Drake Maverick, I mean, you know, he's not a guy who is going to be a champion, right? Like, that's not the type of dude he is. Him as 205 Live Commissioner was great. I thought that the, you know, people hated on that thing with AOP. I, I thought it was kind of funny that he was their manager. Maybe some of the stuff was was childish, but like that that gimmick when they were when he was in the men's bathroom and urinating, I laughed out loud at it. Um, some of the stuff with the twenty four seven title and him looking for our truth was funny. Mm-hmm. Th- this this guy's good, and I did think WWE used him well. He they figured out a way to get him on TV and used him pretty consistently. And you know what? It's pretty cool. He did post a tearful message. You know, I think uh, working in WWE was always his dream. And it's really always the dream of a lot of wrestlers, but he posted kind of a tearful message after he got released. And the good news is they're in the middle of doing this interim cruiserweight championship tournament on NXT. And it's a round Robin format. So because of that, he's in one of the groups, they already announced it and they're allowing him to continue and stay through those tapings. So for at least probably another two months or so, uh, cause it's one match a week spread out and there's three matches in each group. So it may be three or six weeks where we're still going to see a little bit of Drake Maverick on TV and we're finally going to see him compete like for real in cruiserweight matches. So he, he might get a win. Maybe he maybe they end up keeping him if he gets seriously over or something happens. So I don't know that he's completely gone, but I'm sad to see him go because I thought he did a really good job. But he is one of those guys that they actually use pretty well. 
Yeah, I, I, I just, it, it, I'm glad he got to be used. I, I'm glad he gets to stick around a little bit. I just, I, I watched Impact for a little bit, and it was during that time EC3 and Rockstar Spud, Drake Maverick, sure. uh, were together. Great partnership. It would have been great to just even do vignettes of some kind. Uh, I obviously can't use everybody, but I think they're a special pair, and uh, it's unfortunate. And then the other actual big names, like constantly used on TV that were gone or are gone, is Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows, which I find really interesting because the OC was still a thing. Anderson and Gallows were in that Undertaker Boneyard match situation. They work great with AJ Styles. Obviously, they're all very close together. Um, now, Styles has already said he's on his last contract, and I think he still has two more years on it. But Anderson and Gallows just re-signed. Um, I, I believe it was for pretty decent money, too. So maybe that's one of the reasons that they were a casualty here. And maybe it's a scenario where WWE told them, hey, when things get back to normal, we'll bring you back. But they're interesting because certainly a long, significant uh, tenure in New Japan. But are they going to be able to travel over there? Um, I know I, I have no doubt New Japan would want them back. New Japan has already said, and a lot of the Japanese promotions have said they will be the last sport to come back in Japan. They want to be at the end of it, not the forefront. So they're probably not hiring, and they're certainly not going to have anything to do with them. AEW is operating. They have certainly a lot of friends in AEW, um, the Bullet Club connection with a lot of those guys. So they could certainly make their way over to AEW and be themselves and be really interesting. Or they could take some time off and potentially be rehired by WWE in a few months. I could see that happening as well. But you know, I thought those guys, for everyone that, that said that they were, you know, extremely misused in WWE, I think there was a period of time where they were just not used. And that was sad because they're talented. They're really funny. They're good on the mic. They're good in the ring. But the rejuvenation that they saw with AJ and the OC, let's not forget, they've been a couple of tag team champions a couple times. Um, they are on the older side. They're on the wrong side. Um, and the OC work with AJ, I thought was really damn good. So I thought they were just kind of getting in the groove with AJ and it was all kind of working together. And I'm pretty sad to see them go. Yeah, it's, I wouldn't say they were horribly misused. I think I think they were better with AJ than without that whole for a long period of time, whether they're the club, they're not the club. You, you, you wink, wink with AJ and Finn and whatnot. Um, it, it's another example where you wish they had just pulled the trigger and put Finn, AJ, Gals and Anderson together and just gone with it. And I don't know if they were saving it or didn't want to do it. I mean, they call them the club, the OC original club. They're alluding to it as much as you can. Um, but as a tag team on their own, I'm not super familiar with their new Japan work, but I was not really a fan of the WWE work the, mostly the creative, the, the, the doctor stuff, the, the nerd stuff. I, it just, it wasn't working. Right. And it was also part of a, a tag team division that was not given much attention to it at, at all. They were rarely given many stories and whatnot. So I, I think their run is largely forgettable, whether or not that's their fault or not. Um, but uh, I, I did think they were best with AJ at the end. And, and uh, you know, we'll see what's next. Sure. Now we'll run through the rest of these. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to kind of go through them and feel free to stop me anytime you want to say something. Um, I'll I'll pause. Uh, Mike Chioda, 31 years, with the, 31 years with the company hired in 1989, the longest tenured ref in WWE history. It is going to be so weird not seeing him on TV. He is one of those where I really have no doubt as soon as this is over or as soon as they start doing house shows again, because he did more than just refereeing. He had 
a job backstage as well. I really have little doubt that he'll be back, but it's weird to see his name on that list. You would never think they'd get rid of Mike Chioda. Yeah, he, he's from an era when you knew who the referees were, and they kind of had a, not a character, but a backstory to them. Right. Jim Ross would explain Earl Hebner, uh, Tim White, Mike Chioda. So just uh, it was just like a little bit where they're not part of the story, but you pay, atten- you, you pay attention to the ref. You know they matter when they get knocked out of a match or something like that. It means something. It adds heel to the, uh, heat to the heel. Something they don't do anymore at all, barely, is, is acknowledge the referee's existence and uh, uh I think it's a little thing that that would help. And Kyoto is the guy who comes to mind when I think of the way they used to do that. No, it's totally true. And it's really funny because like six months ago, I remember seeing him ref a match. And you don't always pay attention to the refs, but I was like, wait, Mike Kyoto is still officiating? Like this, it, it, it actually jarred me for a minute. I was like, wow, that's crazy. So, you know, it is unfortunate that he's gone. Uh, Heath Slater, uh, gone, released. He's Hopefully fine, health-wise. Uh, does, it, does this mean, I mean, does this mean now future world champion Heat Slater? Maybe. That's kind of what I was going to say. got to complete the set. He's got to come back all jacked up and become yeah. a world champion and, and fulfill, I mean, fulfill the destiny of 3MB. The other two members of 3MB, like you noted, got released, bolted up like crazy, changed their you know characters and attitudes, uh, came back and won the WWE Championship. So now... After a long time with WWE, I think it was 11 years, but Heath Slater's gone, certainly. Um, and, and I that, do think, run, I, I don't know. With, oh, go ahead. I, well, let me put it this way. Drew McIntyre always had that potential. Jinder yeah. was kind of thrown into a situation where he probably should have been U.S. champion instead. Sure. Uh, Heath is just not on that level. He's no, just not. But he's talented. He's a funny guy. Uh, that whole bit with Rhino, they became the first SmackDown Tag Team champs. They went, to, they did that skit where they go and see his family and the Cheese Whiz. Like, yep. that was funny stuff. And in the early days of SmackDown Live, they were some of the guys carrying that. And I, I, I know uh, Daniel Bryan kind of got him involved in the later stages. I know he seems to be really respected. And, uh, uh, yeah. Sure. Uh, Rowan also got fired. Certainly, it looked like they were doing something with him. And then they did the animatronic spider as the thing in the cage and it fell flat. And then we basically never saw him again. So, uh, I mean, we saw him at, I guess, Royal Rumble. I don't remember if the spider thing happened before or after that. But, um, you know, talented. I always thought Harper was obviously by far the better of the two and had the highest ceiling. The fact that WWE never saw it in Harper to me was astounding uh we've already talked about the reaction he got in the feud with orton and wyatt where he probably should have won the wwe championship rowan was always just there um talented guy pretty cool i think i thought he worked really well with daniel bryan i actually thought that was a great pairing but this is a casualty that makes sense to me yeah a a guy who's either been a tag team or a sidekick and he he holds that role you know pretty well for sure mike and maria canellis you know it's a unique situation with these two that I have discussed ad nauseum. And chances are, if you listen to this podcast, you listen to my old podcast that I was on where I, I spoke about them and their comments and everything that's happened significantly. Um, these, these guys never got started. They never really had a chance. In looking back in retrospect, they should have debuted on NXT and not SmackDown. Mike certainly went through a drug issue and he rehabbed himself. Apparently, Maria was pregnant very soon after they got hired the first time. She resigned and then was pregnant again. So start and stop with these two. Um, Mike had requested his release like like a month after he resigned. And for some reason, WWE didn't let him out of it. They should have then. It makes sense that they did now. 
Yeah, um, and, and, and yeah, and I don't have a ton to add about them, but it kind of goes to the idea of uh, hoarding talent, whether or not that's the phrase people want to use. And uh, it's it, it, as from a company standpoint, that's or from a worker standpoint, that's not a bad thing if a company is over leveraging itself yeah. by paying too many workers. Like I'm okay with that, and you just you figure a guy like Mike Canellis release them what's the big deal you'd like to see a little bit more freedom in that sense but uh yeah like i said he wanted out before not surprised you know zach Ryder, uh we'll talk about next 14 years in wwa so you know this guy's still pretty i think he's like 34 now but he debuted as an edgehead or i don't even remember if he debuted as an edgehead but he was an edgehead for a while with kurt hawkins um certainly they had a tag team they recently or semi-recently i guess a year ago won the tag team championships Ryder won the Intercontinental Championship, only to lose it a day later. Uh, the Z True Hollywood story was a, a massive success and kind of forced WWE into the social media landscape and told them that that was important. Um, but Zach, you know, candidly, uh, is only so good in the ring and only and only so exciting. And yes, he could get a lot of stuff over and he was really good. Um, Cody put out a statement, you know, that Zach was one of his best friends and apparently uh, when Cody left, you know, Zach even said something or maybe it was Cody who said it. I'm getting it mixed up now. We're talking about a lot of stuff here, but about that when AEW started, Cody always knew that Zach's dream was to be in WWE and he didn't even offer him a job when AEW started because he knew he wouldn't take it or that it wasn't necessary. I expect him to be there in three seconds. Um, and I do think that he's valuable. Like I said, he's 34 years old. The guy still has probably five years left of being a legitimate performer. I just, I think it's more of a Sean Spears situation than anything else. Yeah. I, I think he can be a perfectly serviceable mid Carter in AEW, And that's not a bad thing. One thing I'll say about Zach Ryder though, I, I think his influence on is going to sound maybe hyperbolic, but his influence on pro wrestling is incredibly underrated. You could credit a lot of AEW's oh, yeah. existence. Oh to yeah. Zach Ryder, the stuff he did on YouTube a decade ago, that's that's what led that's what eventually leads you to stuff like BTE and that leads to AEW. He changed the game in terms of how wrestlers promote themselves and try to get themselves over. And you've got the rock on the mic in the ring and people are chanting, We want Ryder yep. or something like that. Like yep. that was incredible. And it's an incredible disservice what they did to him after that when he got himself over. Uh, but you know, they still kept him employed for 14 years when he wasn't doing anything. And um and uh a real trailblazer in self-promotion in pro wrestling, which is no small feat. Definitely ahead of his time. Like when I say that, you know, he's nothing special. I'm just talking about in terms of in the ring, but he, he trailblazer is the right word, man. He changed the game. Like I said, he forced WWE into the social media era um, with that. They probably never buy tout if it's not for Zack Ryder doing uh, YouTube videos and getting over. He got himself over to the point that he was put himself on TV um, I remember there was stuff with Cena, like you mentioned, the stuff with The Rock, where people are chanting for Zach freaking Ryder, and it was great. Um, he did have a decent run, though. I, you know, with Zach Ryder, he's not one of those people that I'm ever going to say that WWE did him a disservice. The guy was employed for 14 years. He had. So I, I, I just meant at that time when. Yeah, he he, was yeah that's fair. Pushing him no. off in the wheelchair and kind of moving on from there. No, no, that is fair. I mean, that is fair that at the moment they cooled him off for no reason. They do that all the time, unfortunately. But. He was there for 14 years. He did have moments. He did not have moments as well. Um, but more often than not, it was kind of like, oh, there's Zack Ryder. Oh, yeah, he's pretty good. And oh, this thing with Kurt Hawkins is kind of funny. And 
oh, they're champions or they're on a losing streak and now they're champions. It worked. It just kind of worked. And, you know, the thing with Kurt Hawkins, though, I never understood why WWE rehired him. And it's nothing against him as a person. But I I just I, I, I know they need people to work house shows and lose matches and job and do all that type of stuff. But there's a lot of people you can hire to do that. There's a lot of people in NXT. There's a lot of people in the world. And I just didn't understand why they hired him and then re-signed him again. So, you know, again, I'm not trying to crap on anybody, but I get it. Like, this is a firing that makes sense. Uh, You know, so we'll keep going. Uh, Eric Young certainly was part of Sanity, and that was an interesting group. Never got over on the main roster. Uh, Joined Raw, jobbed a little bit. But I believe he was moving into a producer role backstage primarily. Uh, he's not there anymore. Aiden English, we talked about Russo. Well, actually, speaking of Eric Young coming off sure. of Kurt Hawkins and a few of these guys, I, for a little bit on Twitter, I used to to, to tell play a joke that there was a TNA invasion secretly happening with Bobby Roode and EC3 and Eric Young and everybody that was coming over from TNA. And I, honestly, I'll just say that uh, you know TNA gets impact gets crapped on a lot he especially five ten years ago but uh you know everybody big who came out of there got hired by wwe so there's clearly a, a bit of respect or at least they deserve some respect for uh what they did with, with some of those guys and eric young ec3 among them oh for sure insanity worked in nxt like it definitely worked but on the main roster i, I they didn't really give it a chance but honestly i don't know that sure. that i don't know that it would have worked anyway yeah and it wasn't uh, Killian Dane main roster doesn't really fit. It's an NXT guy. Alexander Wolf was always the extra piece. Nikki Cross was the star of that group. She was the unique piece that you had never seen before in WWE, at least to her level. Uh, so getting her on the main roster was ultimately a success. And Eric Young, you know, his look was initially good. And then he shaved his head and did all that. And he just looks like a normal guy. So, you know, I, I get it. Um, but so it's he's a veteran. He's been wrestling forever. He's been training, I think, people. Uh, he's gotten into producing. So I'm glad he got those opportunities. And he had a decent run in WWE and NXT, but it does make sense to me. Uh, Aiden English on the other side of Rusev Day, no question. Uh, he was dealt a, a weird hand, too. He was in that tag team. Um, I'm forgetting the name of it right now. Vaude, the, the Vaude the, Villains. The Vaude Villains uh, with the other dude who got fired. Um, then... He's kind of just meandering and he starts doing the singing gimmick again, which is what he had before the Vaudevillains. And it starts working. And then he starts working with Rusev and announcing him and singing and rapping. And it works. Then they both get crazy over. But again, I get it. Like Aiden English, you know, in ring, in terms of do you want to see him in title pictures? Do you want him to be a uh, a person who is given significant pushes? You probably don't. So one of the decisions that makes sense to me. Another thing, there is the, yeah. there is the relationship with the Guerrero family. Vicky's already not with WWE. Aiden not being there either. That makes sense as well. Yeah, he's he's a creative guy. I mean, he I, I like the Vaude Villains. It was a quintessential NXT gimmick, but I, ha- I, I hated it. Just so I, I, I liked it. I, I thought it was perfectly fun and fine. The, the, the blue pants thing as a one-off at, at one of the takeovers. It was just fun. And and then you're right. He got the singing over the Rusev stuff over. He was okay on commentary. Um, obviously there's nowhere where he fits now, but uh, I think he, given what he, he was perfectly serviceable in, in different ways. Sure. Uh, no way Jose brought over from NXT, but he was always meant to kind of just be 
enhancement and just be someone who's there. Certainly that character, there was really nowhere to go ever with him. So unfortunate that he got released, but he did, you know, he was there for a good period of time in WWE. So I'm glad he got a little bit of run and, and got his name out there. Uh, Sarah Logan, certainly as part of the riot squad, it worked not in the riot squad. Didn't really work. Um, I actually thought that she was starting to figure out her character over the last couple of months. And I was kind of excited to see them utilize her in that maybe no way Jose type of role, uh, a Kurt Hawkins, Zack Ryder type of role where she's there. She can put on competitive matches. She's good in the ring. But again, she's probably not someone with all the other women you have on Raw and SmackDown who you're going to push in the title perspective. But also also a tough way to go out. Kayfabe was. Getting yeah, getting your arm, quote unquote. Getting your arm yeah, yeah. Baszler didn't, just, Baszler didn't just injure her. She retired her or, or yeah. got retired. So, yeah, no, that's that's really true as well. And on that same note, Deanna Perrazzo, um, you know, she's extremely talented. And she was in NXT. And I think she was a victim of circumstance based on the women's division and who could get pushed at any given time. And it just didn't work out timing-wise. And as soon as, you know, Baszler went up and now Bianca Belair has gone up, and things started opening up, they said to her, hey, you know, we're going to start using you on Raw a little bit because we have some openings. And she was just starting to get in there. The, and the, the gimmick, Virtuosa, the look was really good. I did she, I did think she had an opportunity to be something significant in WWE, maybe not this year, but in the years to come. Um, but I guess they just either didn't feel that way. I think she, it seems like she tweeted that she was a little bit unhappy as well. She's going to have a huge opportunity, AEW immediately. And again, I'm not, you guys know me, I'm not an AEW quote unquote mark where I just think they're going to sign everyone or I think everyone should go there. I would never tell a wrestler leave WWE for AEW. But Deanna Perrazzo as a free agent, I think, has a huge opportunity to help a women's division that badly needs help. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I don't watch, I'm not a regular <laughs> NXT watcher right now, so I'm not super familiar with her work, but. Uh, yeah. She's good, she's good. It, just trust me on that, that she's good. Uh, I trust her. Primo and Epico also gone. The Colognes, you know, again, they haven't even been in WWE, like main roster for a long time. They think they were living in Puerto Rico and one of them got suspended for refusing to come back yeah. to America to take a drug test. So that was a long time coming. All other releases, MJ Jenkins was an NXT developmental person. Alexander Jacksick, also an NXT developmental person. I would, ex um, we're not necessarily going to see those names in WWE releases, but I would expect to see some of those trickle out as we go here because there's no performance center operating. So they're not training and NXT has its roster right now. So I think a lot of these names are going to go, but WWE needs to be really careful who they release. Cause there are some extremely talented people down there. Swerve being an example, he's in the cruiserweight tournament. Um, there's a number of other young, young talented guys who they need to keep and they need to, just like a, a Chad Gable, they need to keep. And they, now that there's this opening and, and, this little TV time that was taken by the Heath Slaters or the Rowans here and there or Carl Anderson and Gallows or, or Rusev here and there. Let's start incorporating some of these people that aren't being used. Uh, they also, WWE, furloughed nine producers, agents, Billy Kidman, Mike Rotunda. Just kind of coincidental that IRS got like almost fired on tax day. That's besides the point. Uh, Dave Finlay, uh, Pat Buck, Sean Devari, Scott Armstrong, Sarah Stock, Shane Helms, the Hurricane, and Lance Storm, who – Unfortunately, just got hired by WWE and closed his wrestling school in order to do that. Really, really unfortunate there. Um, yeah, it seems like it seems like a lot of those are guys who could quickly come back once there's actual yes. shows to produce. Hopefully, no, absolutely, they're furloughed, so they're still, I guess, considered employees, but they can come back. 
What I was really surprised about, though, oh, also before I move on to what I was surprised about, uh, Norman Smiler, Norman Smiley, a longtime performance center coach, uh, he is also either furloughed or released, we're not sure. Some writers were fired. Uh, Josiah Williams, who does um, some of the rapping stuff, he was Wrestle and Flow on Twitter, very popular. He's been furloughed. So there's a lot of other people that are being affected besides just the talent. But what I found strange, and certainly, man, I am not calling for anyone in particular to lose their jobs. It's not what I'm talking about. But considering the number of people who have been let go, I was shocked not to see Laura Sullivan on this list. I just, this guy, he was a combination hurt and cast away for comments he made and things he did in his past. I see no way of WWE ever bringing him back without backlash and without people being upset. I don't think he was that good to begin with. So I have no idea why Laura Sullivan was not on this list. And candidly, when you look at the 205 Live roster, which is greatly diminished, I'm pretty surprised that some of those guys are still employed. Tony Nese, yeah, good look. Not really that, really good in the ring. Not really that great in terms of personality-wise. Uh, Arya Davari, again, similar thing. Don't don't really get it. Um, Jack Gallagher, I guess, also does NXT UK stuff. So maybe that makes sense. Uh, the Brian Kendrick, again, not really doing much. He certainly does train people. I don't know if he works in the PC. So those are some names, and 205 Live in particular, I thought that's something that WWE could very easily trim. And I was surprised that we didn't see that. And maybe to your point earlier, it's all going to come down Friday after SmackDown. It's possible. I mean, I hope not. It sucks seeing everybody get let go and at a time when there's nowhere else to go. And uh, uh, I honestly, I'd forgotten about Lars Sullivan until you brought him back up. Uh, like it's crazy, the, right? I, forgot, I, mean, I forgot a number of these people until I end up seeing that they get released and, you know, I'll probably be, continue to be the case in the future but am I, am I wrong to say like it's crazy that he wasn't on that list like he's like the most obvious person to get rid of yeah yeah i guess i mean it's possible it comes later but uh yeah for a guy i forgot existed yeah it was surprising to, to hear you bring him up in the right. oh yeah i guess that would make sense okay moving into the fastest 15 minutes in professional wrestling which we have not done in quite a while on this show uh we're going to talk about aew and nxt here because candidly not a lot happened on these shows wednesday night and I do think there's one major subject to talk about from each. We'll start with AEW because that's what Chris watches. He's not a huge NXT fan, which, I mean, we can discuss what that means about him at a later time. I, I'm, a fan, I'm a fan, big fan. It's just when there's two shows at the same, same time and I got to go back and watch the other. Sometimes I often okay. get around. Fair enough. And I, and I did also surprise you asking you to do today's show. We'll give you a pass this time. But, <laughs> but from AEW... Um, it was the topic to talk about for me is John Moxley versus Jake Hager in the AEW World Championship match. What was not just promoted necessarily, but promised by owner Tony Khan on Twitter as the best ever empty arena match. And I have said, not on this podcast, but I've said previously that yes, Vince McMahon overpromises and underdelivers and promotes things that don't happen. But but Tony Khan thinks everything AEW does is the best ever. I think he said one of their shows was the best pay-per-view of all time in North America. He he has, on multiple occasions, um, gone extremely hyperbolic. And to promote this as the best ever empty arena match, straight up, it wasn't. In fact, it's one of the worst empty arena matches I've ever seen. So I'm going to let you start and maybe tell me otherwise, but I'm going to tell you why I hated it on the back end. The only thing missing from that was Shivani saying this is the greatest day in the history of our sport. 
uh, in terms of hyping it up. So, oh, the, wait, he said he said that on Wednesday. No, no, no. I'm saying that was the only thing that was missing in terms of oh, okay. hyping something up, and, yeah. uh, as is done in pro wrestling. I'll, I'll say this: the match was not good. It, it, I'm not going to sugarcoat and say the match was good, but I, 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 what happened on the show, hyping it up throughout the show, I absolutely loved it. To bring in Ariel Helwani, to bring in Bellator guys, to show clips of him wrestling Bellator, to explain the moves he's going to do later in the show, I thought that was an incredibly creative way to fill up time while also promoting something that was coming later in the day. It made me really, really excited for the match. And I was absolutely let down by the match. But to me, it's not just about the destination. It's about the journey. And I really enjoyed the journey that they took me on to get into this match. Because Moxley versus Hager, there wasn't a ton to it. It was kind of whatever. And then they built it up. They gave you a, they gave you a story and something to pay attention to throughout the episode last night. and. I'm okay, I'm okay with being let down because I appreciated the effort that they put into getting there. It wasn't it was hyped up. It wasn't just hyped up out of nowhere and then a letdown. They built me up to it and I got knocked down, but I wasn't knocked down all the way. So I'll just say that the match I'm not going to defend the match. I'll just say that I I thought the way that they built it up throughout the episode was incredibly creative. I'd love to see that more for any championship fight really in pro wrestling. Like that's how all these fights should be built up as when you have a heavyweight championship on the line. So, um, yeah, I will say that you're, you make a really good point about that. The promotion of it on Wednesday show was very good. I thought the prior two weeks, the interviews they did with Moxley and Hager, I did not like them at all. And I've I've said as much on this podcast, I found them to be just boring and monotonous, repetitive. So those did not get me hyped. The, the stuff on Wednesday, it also didn't get me hyped, but I can at least appreciate what they were going for. And I do think, yes, having Ariel Hawani on there and some other MMA experts and, and, and other wrestlers um, talking about the match was solid. It's not very dissimilar from what WWE has done before some of its major matches where, for example, um, if you had like The Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, uh, you'd have, you know, Triple H and Bret Hart and Austin talking mm-hmm. about, you know, you know who's going to win this match and why is it important? They've, they've done that very recently as well. So, you know, I, I don't think that's a um, necessarily totally unique move that they made, but because Hager is this mixed MMA w, uh, sorry MMA wrestling guy now, um, I did like that presentation of it. I agree. Now, and, and compare go ahead, one more thing and compare that compare Ariel Hawani and the Bellator guys talking about Hager as a pro wrestler. Compare that to what Ronda Rousey was saying and exactly. things that are fake. This is exactly what we said earlier in the week about if MMA is gonna crap on pro wrestling it makes it it does it just it, it hurts everything when you're in wrestling to have the mma people hype up the pro wrestling raises all boats here and that's exactly what they did with Helwani and the bellator guys it's a great point and it, it, it goes back to my point also on tuesday where it speaks more to her personality and character than it does to mma versus wwe because guess what uh, Daniel Cormier, if all things worked out, would love to be doing something in WWE. Colby Covington, who I, I personally hate, um, said he wants to be in WWE in 2021. There are Kane Velasquez is signed to WWE. There are tons of MMA fighters who see WWE as a great path in the second half of their careers, and they don't shit on it. And Ariel Hawani, who is an MMA journalist, he interviews wrestlers on his show all the time, Becky Lynch, etc. He doesn't shit on it. He says, look, this is different than MMA. We we get it. 
We acknowledge it's not the same thing, but I'm going to talk to you like a person and an athlete because these people are athletes and they do put their bodies on the line. The results are predetermined. We get it. Okay. Now I'm going to crap on this. Uh, it was a slow, ponderous 30 minute match, Chris, that seemed like 90 minutes to call it as Tony Khan did. And as they hyped it up, the best ever empty arena match was so unfair because I already knew it was going to fall short on it, on of it going into the match, but it fell so far short of it that I feel it's contemptible. Uh, it was worse than Edge and Orton, which happened at WrestleMania. It was worse than any empty arena match, candidly. Not that there have been a ton that I've seen. It was definitely worse than Gargano Champa and Rock Mankind, which is really the standard bearer. It was definitely worse than that as well. So the match wasn't just bad. Um, and the, the layout of it and how they handled it. But they decided, production-wise, to have Jim Ross call this solo for seemingly no good reason, just because they wanted Jarrah on the call. It sounded like he was doing a commentary track for a video game. I have never heard in my entire wrestling fandom Jim Ross sound as bad as he did on Wednesday night. Yeah, I, 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 again, I, I can't defend the the, uh, the way that they played that stuff out. Very strange decision to only have Jr. do that. Um, when you have an empty arena match, you need you need some essentially some comedy because the whole idea is weird. That's what that's what Rock Austin was. You had guys who took right. themselves too seriously and expressed themselves in different ways. You got a popcorn. A hit and stuff like that. That's also why I think the last main standing match with Orton and Edge didn't work because it was just a lot of grunting is all you really got. And uh, yeah, again, strange decision. I I know they built, I know they said it was going to be the greatest empty arena match ever. Maybe it's just me. I personally had pretty low expectations for the match considering who was involved. And so I guess that just didn't get me. Uh, I guess I didn't have that big of a expectations going in. No. So uh, and that's yeah. and that's fine, but this is kind of what I'm saying. I had extremely low expectations, yeah, and it still fell short of those expectations. So I'm just being honest. Like you know, you guys know I'm not going to sit here and overly praise AEW for no reason. I do give them their just due. I thought from January 2020, from the first show that they did this year up until you know uh, two weeks ago, I would say that. 80% of the time, 85% of the time, they were putting on better shows than NXT. You guys know I'm a huge NXT fan. AEW had been far better through the first quarter, I guess, um, or nearly the first quarter of 2020. But the last two weeks, last week for sure NXT was better. This week NXT was by far the better show. And it's to such an extreme that I, th I think AEW is going to come back and win the ratings this week. Uh, just based on habit and because they have a world championship match and NXT doesn't or didn't. But nevertheless, um, I, if after people saw those last two episodes of AEW, I would not be surprised if the tide ends up turning just a little bit. Uh, we have Nick Z at Anzaniboni93. He writes in, am I alone in thinking that Mox just doesn't have it? I feel like everything he's done in AEW has been meh. He seems like a B-side type. I'll let you take that one first, Chris. I personally am not a huge Moxley fan. I, he's not he's not world champion material to me. I, I think he's perfectly good. I, I think he honestly might be better if he's not in a, a title feud. But AEW's 
is solely built around the elite. It still is in terms of stories, in terms of who's the most interesting. And to have Mox kind of doing his own thing on the side feels secondary with the title. Um, I, I, I think he's fine. I don't I don't hate him. I, I think uh, I'd put a little bit better than meh. I, I thought his, his championship win was good, but every, ever since everything he's done with the title has been, to me, mostly pretty forget- forgettable. Yeah, and and again, to be fair, you know, really weird circumstances yeah, here where, no there, doubt, no where doubt. there's no fans. And if he was in front of fans, I think he would get certainly a really good reception as champion. I'll say but that that adds a lot. The, the it, fan reaction to him adds a lot to him, him on his own. Yeah, but you can tell that people are into him. Yeah, he is someone that who certainly needs the fans to get over. And but I am going to agree with Nick. He is a B side to me. He is a B side of a title feud uh, in the Shield. He was the third best guy in terms of excitement in terms of who you would think would be main event. Um, His title run in WWE was better than people give it credit for being. But nevertheless, Moxley is a B-side to me. That doesn't mean that he's not good. And his debut in AEW at Double or Nothing was awesome. It was great. But again, in large part because of the crowd reaction and because he was able to be himself, where in WWE, he had just come off of being the absolute worst version of not just his character, but any character who's supposed to have an edge ever. I mean, the, the way he ended his WWE career booking wise was absolutely terrible. So to see that well, I'm not I'm not gonna put that on him. <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't on him. No, 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 not at all. But I'm saying the dichotomy of seeing that guy to then the guy that you get in AEW and have it be so soon after he left WWE, it was a shock. You're like, oh my God, this is awesome. Mox is so cool, right? Yeah. So and he was cursing and he was doing those videos. So because of that, what I'm trying to say is it made it even more extreme and more exciting than it was. Yeah. So that's why I think he was so hyped going into AEW. But but nevertheless, Moxley's good. But I do think he's a B-side main eventer. No question. Bret Hart, in my opinion, is a B-side main eventer also. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I do think Nick is mostly right. AEW, Jericho as champion, meant something. And every match that he was in mattered. This match meant nothing with Mox. And I don't know what feud he's going to have that's going to mean something unless it's with Kenny Omega, uh, Cody, Jericho, and and me. honestly, maybe that's it. Uh, Mox, go I'm sorry. Mox is the best when he's kind of the underdog fighting the man. Like when he when he was going up against Seth Rollins, who screwed him, when he was going up against the authority, when he when he fought Triple H at Roadblock or whatever like that. That's when you, that's when he's the best. That's when the people get behind him, because that's the kind of character he is. And, and, and the Jericho stuff was really good. I liked his feud with Jericho. But then once he's won and once he's on top, then it's kind of weird. You don't know where this character is supposed to go because he's supposed to be the scrappy you know, gives the middle finger to the man type of character. And as right. the, as a champion, it it doesn't really fit. And and he started pandering to fans. I mean, immediately after he won the title, he was like, this isn't just for me, it's for all you guys in that post-match promo. Last night, I believe he cut a promo, you know, this is the best wrestling business, and or this is the best company in the wrestling business, and this is for all you guys. Like, he did it again. That's This guy should not be pandering to fans. Steve Austin was also better in the chase than he was as champion. But once he was champion, his character didn't change. It was still DTA. It was still the same guy. So that's what Moxley's missing. And if he can figure that out, it would be good. Okay, moving on here. We only have a couple minutes left in the fastest 15. Uh, To finish AEW, Jericho Shivani, once again, I thought was great. Good good combination. The Brady Bunch-inspired, Bubbly Bunch inner circle segment, I also thought was great. But aside those two things, Chris, nothing else on the show was even good to me. Um... 
I just watched the last three BTEs. Uh, I thought they were awful. Just being honest, awful. And I don't think that AEW has adapted nearly as well to the situation that we're in as WWE and NXT have, period. So I, I'm actually going to take the opposite take here. I actually think they've, they, they've tried a lot more different things. And it's not all working, but I'm appreciating that I'm seeing something different. I, I loved the Bubbly Bunch. It's the, it's the exact type of at-home promo cutting you can put together that's Absolutely. almost BT, it's BTE style. I, I really like that. Jericho on commentary, he talks way too much. He's got to let it breathe. But what he is saying is is good. And and there were some matches on AEW that didn't mean anything. Some guys, we don't really know anything about the Sean Spears situation. He Jericho's, he spends his whole time putting people over, talking about working at Body Park, talking about somebody's background. Uh, he, he talked about, uh, you, I, you don't have to have the greatest physique like Bobby Eaton to be a tough guy. I, I think there's a lot to like what he's doing there. He's just talking a little bit too much. Um, they're trying different. They had fans. They had some random fans in the crowd. To me, they're 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 changing. They're doing different things while we continue to get the same empty stuff from WWE. It doesn't all work, but I appreciate that they're trying different things. And to me, just the fact that I'm seeing something different than oh another empty silent match is gathering my attention. Whether or not it's good, it's it's keeping me paying attention. So I'm going to correct myself here because as the game once said about Eminem, I can't let you kill me on my own shit. Um, so you're right. AEW actually has adapted better than WWE because they are trying more different things. The setup was better. That's something that WWE adapted that they saw from AEW, you would expect. Um, the stuff with Jericho at his home, the at-home promos and the things they're doing away from the arena and away from the ring, that is all better in AEW. They are being more creative in that regard. I think WWE has been more successful in putting on top-to-bottom quality shows than AEW has, despite its creativity. Is that fair? It depends what you want. Because to me, I find myself, you know, I have, I'm not always paying super close attention to what's going on the screen. I find myself looking up and going, oh, wait, what? And I find myself looking up and paying attention a lot more during AEW because it feels like it's something different as opposed to, yeah, you know, have a 30 minute, 20 minute match to open raw and stuff like that. And it's good, but it's not something that an hour from now I'm going to really remember in terms of like, oh, that was pretty funny. I'm going to go back and think about that again. So it, it, it again, it's not the, it's not the best, but the just the, the act of tr- doing different things is keeping my attention. I'll accept that. That's completely fair. I thought just looking at this week and we still have SmackDown to go, I thought Raw was the best show of the week of the three so far. So, I mean, I that, I just, I judge it. How good is the show? How entertained, entertained and I, eh, how, I judge it by how good is the show? How entertained am I? And, you know, am I curious? And is there a lot to talk about on this show? So we had a whole episode Tuesday where we had plenty to talk about from Raw and I'm here looking at AEW and even NXT to some regard. And I'm like, you know, there's really not that much to talk about. So let's move on though to NXT. Um, it, I thought it was a very exciting show. I thought it was the best show on, on Wednesday night between the two. And it led uh, by a couple debuts. One, Timothy Thatcher, the former Evolve champion, who certainly is a big name or was a big name on the independent scene. WWE announced his hiring back in February on backstage, but he had yet to make a debut anywhere. And then Karrion Cross, who is, which is the new name for Killer Cross, uh, the certain lo- certainly longtime uh, big name wrestler who's kind of just making his WWE debut. 
I was really entertained by both of them. I thought the entire segment with Matt Riddle, uh, you know, having Thatcher be his surprise um, tag team partner and them beating the Undisputed Era, I thought it was great. It was a really good match, extremely entertaining. I do always hate when you have an established tag team like the Undisputed Era, two-time champions, and literally a new tag team who has never even on screen interacted before in Riddle and Thatcher. They should not be retaining the titles over them in, in, in kayfabe. I hate that. But given the circumstances, it made sense. I like them as a duo. It's really um, oil and water, whereas you thought that was the case with Dunn, but they kind of ended up kind of getting together and, and working. So I am I am excited for that pairing. Uh, and the Karrion Cross stuff at the end of the show, attacking Tommaso Ciampa as he was addressing fans and addressing the NXT universe. Effrey promised that the stuff with Johnny Gargano would be over is great. As I mentioned, uh, following the Gargano-Champa match, I wasn't exactly sure when we saw Cross in the car with Scarlett. They, it looked like they were staring down Gargano and um, Candice LeRae, but it didn't make sense because that's heel versus heel, and clearly Cross is going to be a heel. So I thought, oh, maybe it is Champa, and ultimately it was Champa. So I um, I just thought that was great. Uh do you, I, I, you know, Chris did get the opportunity to see certain things from NXT, but not everything. I don't know if you had any thoughts specifically on either of those or if I should move forward. Well, you, you kind of touched on it. I, I was I, I'm not familiar with with Timothy Thatcher, but I you know, thought he looked pretty impressive, all things considered. And then, yeah, I, I don't like a new tag team beating an established tag team. And obviously these are unique circumstances and I, we'll see what the plan is moving forward. But in, in kayfabe, that definitely bothered me. But uh uh, yeah, other than that, you pretty much covered my thoughts on that. Sure. And there was also another debut kind of on the show. Jordan Reed at Jordan Reed 9 writes in, uh, how excited are you for El Hijo de Fan del Fantasma uh, in the Cruiserweight tournament? I thought he was great in Lucha Underground. So I am extremely excited for him, despite me butchering his name, uh, in the tournament. And I thought that vignette they did with him was incredible. I was kind of surprised to see him wearing a mask again, he lost his mask in Mexico and the entire point or in Lucha Underground, wherever it was that he lost his mask. And the, the whole point was that he was going to be unmasked in WWE. Like Andrade, this is like a handsome dude who you kind of want to see his face. But I will admit, dudes in masks are pretty damn cool. He looked completely badass. And I believe personally, and it has been reported, but I kind of had this inkling beforehand you have the guys in masks that have been abducting some of these NXT guys who have lost matches. Um, him being the leader of that faction makes a lot of sense. So we're talking about potential faction, which, you know, gets me excited. A wrestler who's incredible in the ring debuting in a tournament that should give us some of the best in ring action we will see on American television all year. It's a total win for me. Absolutely huge. Uh, other stuff that happened on NXT Wednesday night. You had Finn Balor against Fabian Eichner. I thought that was a really damn good match. Two great wrestlers. Really, the in-ring action across all of NXT was incredible. Uh, Zia Lee beat Aaliyah. Now, Aaliyah is worthless. And again, unfortunately, I could see her being someone that they get rid of. But Zia Lee, I really like her. I think she has a unique character, unique in-ring style. She's funny. If you ever watched her at the NXT Combine that they aired, and, and God bless you if you did, because that was long. You want to talk about long and ponderous. The NXT <laughs> Combine on the WWE Network was long and ponderous. But she was constantly entertaining throughout the entire thing. I think she has a huge future. I'm excited for Zia Lee. Um, the interim cruiserweight tournament began with Akira Tozawa and Swerve. Swerve, I am a massive fan of. I know it is a round robin, so individual losses don't matter. 
I was shocked to see Swerve lose to Tozawa in the first match, but it was a damn good match. And Tozawa getting some shine isn't the worst thing. People do really like him. Uh, Tegan Knox and Raquel Gonzalez was fine. Nothing special there. Uh, Dexter Loomis, I'm really excited about him. This is one of the more unique characters that I've seen from WWE in quite some time. Very much reminds me of Psycho Sid. And I think it's something that's necessary. The theme music is unique and different. Um, I just think he has a huge ceiling and I'm curious to see where they go with that. And the big like feel spot moment, I didn't even, we're not even doing feel spots technically today, but Velveteen Dream cutting a promo on Adam Cole and, and Finn Balor appearing over his right shoulder and, you know, challenging each other and getting into it, man, feel spot moment, feel spot activated on that one. So I was really, really excited to see what they're going to do with Finn Balor and Velveteen Dream. I assume it's going to be a number one contendership match. With the winner getting Adam Cole, I assume that winner will be Velveteen Dream. That'd be a huge win for Dream. A great match with Balor and certainly an exciting match with Cole coming up. So just top to bottom, really, really enjoyed NXT on Wednesday night, Chris. Anything I said there, was there any takeaways that you had? Yeah, no, I mean, just we haven't really fully seen Dream since he came back yet because of obviously things that are going on. Um, This is a good opportunity for him and liked what they did on Wednesday. And uh, him and Finn should be incredibly fun and, and hopefully we kind of get that back for sure also incredibly fun was taping this edition of getting over and having chris as my guest now i do have getting overtime coming up as promised i'm gonna talk about a little bit about mtv's the challenge surprisingly a lot of you asked me to do that so getting overtime is coming you can follow chris on twitter at chris vanini of course you can follow me at silverstein adam just hold on two seconds and we're gonna get right over to getting overtime Okay, another crazy week of professional wrestling action and getting overtime this week. I actually did not get that many questions or DMs, so that's why I included them in the normal portion of the show. We're going to talk a little bit about MTV's The Challenge. I believe we're in season 35, Total Madness. I actually don't have too many thoughts this week, ultimately because of everything that's already gone on. My brain has been somewhere else, but I did catch the show uh, before things finished up on Wednesday night before I went to sleep. And really good, surprising episode. Um, Look, I want to go back two weeks first and talk about this new rule change on the challenge, which basically is the group that gets to decide who gets voted into the pit to compete one-on-one. For some reason, I'm forgetting the name of these things right now. Again, my brain is totally mush right now. But them having the opportunity to insert themselves into the mix instead of voting for one of the other people um, that they had previously selected giving them the opportunity to win a Red Skull and then be qualified uh, for the final. So I I really first love the concept of you needing a challenge win in order to get into the finals, meaning a one-on-one elimination win in order to get into the finals. I love the Red Skull concept. That's great. I also really like the idea of people being able to vote themselves in to get that opportunity. I think you saw the dangers of doing that though over the last two weeks. So two weeks ago, D had that opportunity. Clearly, I believe the girl's name was Jen or Jenny, was the weakest woman on the entire roster. And she hated her and because she, she was talking to Logan and she had every opportunity to take her out. She saw the game. She saw what was in front of her. It was clearly a strength competition. She was definitely stronger. So D made a number of mistakes two weeks ago. Number one, she chose the British Jen or Jenny. Again, my brain is mush right now. She chose her over Jordan and Tori, which are two of the best competitors in the entire game, an alliance you absolutely want to be on, and an alliance that wanted you as part of it. 
So rather than stay with them and be safe the entire game, she decides not to put Torian elimination, but instead puts Jen or Jenny again. Uh, they're getting all confused to me. Huge, dumb mistake. Okay, not just the fact that she aligned with them, but that she decided to put Jen, again, or Jenny, into elimination. And why was it so dumb? Because had D decided to take advantage of TJ's new rule, she would have been able to insert herself in, get a red skull, and not anger the, the British Jen or Tori because she said, hey, ultimately, rather than choose one of you, I just decided to take, take care of myself here. And they couldn't really blame her for that. So instead, she ruined one alliance, has a much weaker alliance, and does not have a red skull. Huge mistake. Of course, putting yourself in elimination comes with its risks. And that's what CT saw this week on the challenge. Um, you know, it's shocking. They they teased it up and they produced it in such a way that you thought there would be no way that Jay would beat CT. Even from how he built the contraption and how he tried to inhibit CT getting into the door to just the way that they played it out on camera through the finish. But I always had an inkling in those final few minutes of the show that Jay was going to have an easier time doing it. And it just kind of seemed to be heading in that direction, even though they were kind of not pointing us there. And maybe that's just why I just, I just assumed that they were pointing us in the wrong direction. Um, but it was pretty crazy to see that happen. Jay to now have two Red Skulls, CT to get eliminated on a challenge like that, one where he clearly should have won. I think it does speak though more to CT than it does to Jay, because honestly, CT, you want to talk about Beth being on the wrong side of 34, he's he's 39 years old. This is a guy who's an absolute challenge beast, one of the best top five Mount Rushmore dudes all time in challenge history. You obviously know the moment with Johnny Bananas, that in elimination that will live in infamy with him putting bananas on his back and running and hitting the bell. But in this case, this is a 39-year-old guy going up against a younger guy, and certainly he's stronger, but his stamina absolutely ran out. So you know, CT, unfortunately, see you later. Really unfortunate. I do expect that he'll be in more challenges in the future. The other takeaway from the show, really two. One, I mean, I guess people in the world could like Ashley for some reason. I find her extremely contemptible. And I know that people are mixed on Johnny Bananas, whether you like him, whether you don't like him. I've always enjoyed him. I found him to be extremely entertaining. The stuff with Wes and them actually being in an alliance and it working and them getting along it's great television. It's a great change of pace for the game to have them realize that picking each other off just hurts the veterans. And there's so many new people that you need to worry about number one, which is being a veteran and each other. I hope that Wes or, or Bananas, whoever, doesn't turn on the other one. I thought Wes not voting Bananas in uh, for two elimination was a, a good decision. And I do hope that this lasts for the entirety of the season, at least to the point where it comes to a head where they have to go head to head in elimination or, you know, some circumstance goes down where they have no choice but to go against one another. But I do hope they keep it up. It's exciting. It's different. It's new. And to have those guys be on, on the show every single year and go head to head and hate each other every single year, it got really tiring and really annoying. So for something different, I'm excited to see it. Uh, I should mention just for those who are going to be listening to these challenge takes. And, and if you don't like it, I'll stop doing it. It's totally cool. But just let me know. I wanted to try it out this week. Uh, so you know where I stand, challenge-wise. Jordan and Tori, that's my team right there. I think Jordan, uh, certainly his ego is absurd. And he is never able to accept losing. He has major problems in that regard. But for a guy 
candidly with like one and a half hands. Certainly he was born, you know, with a deformity on one hand. For him to be as good at competitions as he is, dominate them, win, accomplish as much as he does, as he does, and even get as far as he does with his personality, with his ego. Um, it's incredible. Tori, from the day she joined the challenge a couple of years ago, has been an absolute juggernaut. They make a great pair. She's by far my favorite woman currently competing, uh, just based on her ability. And I think she's smart and, and really talented. And what she did last year, winning elimination after elimination after elimination, Jordan too, they just dominated the field. It was really a shame that both of them were not able to come back with money last year. Okay, that's this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Again, weird show. Obviously, uh, we did open about um, talking about the departure uh, from this world of Howard Finkel at age 69, uh, WWE releasing you know two dozen of its roster members, uh, AEW and NXT. And certainly, I do appreciate everyone for listening to another long edition of the show. We will be back to our normal format going anywhere from, you know, 45 to 75 minutes starting Tuesday, assuming nothing else major happens. Please don't forget, head on over to Apple Podcasts. You can hear I'm losing my voice right now. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, five-star rating and review. Follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And please join us next Tuesday when we will be back with our next WWE edition of the show. So for Chris Vanini, for my dog Moose, who decided to walk in the room right now as we were taping, I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, and I have just three words for you. Bye for now.